Thank you. Thank you, Michael, for uh, taking the position as uh, the man behind the curtain. You guys can give him feedback if there's too much feedback as I'm talking. Um, weddings, uh, wonderful events. Um, uh, we have an opportunity to go to a wedding uh, this evening. Uh, what, what do you do when you go to a wedding? What are, what's one of the questions you ask yourself? What kind of preparations do you do before you go to a wedding? I'm sorry? Uh, oh, uh, as, as just a witness, just a person going to the event, not, uh, not one of the persons getting married. What kind of gift? Yeah, you want to bring a gift. That's uh, one way of, of honoring the bride and the groom, uh, showing them your love, your respect for them. What else? Respond, okay. I'm sorry? What clothes to wear, yeah. What's the, uh, what do you call the dress code? Yeah, what's the dress code, right? Uh, I, I've been to a wedding where uh, the dress code uh, is, is, I think they call it black tie, right? That means you got to wear your best, right? Suit, tie. Actually, I don't think you're supposed to wear a tie. I think you're supposed to have one of these butterfly things. Uh, so, yeah. So what, what happens if you don't? What happened if you didn't check the requirements and uh, you show up uh, somewhat underdressed, uh, perhaps just casual to a black tie event? What's going to happen? <laughs> you might feel uncomfortable, right? You're looking at yourself, and then you're looking at everybody else, and everybody else is looking at you. And yeah, so I would say, at, at the very least, you'll probably feel a little bit uncomfortable, right? Uh, at most, uh, and depending perhaps on how close of a friend you are, they might say, sorry, you're not dressed appropriately. Uh, maybe, maybe go home and change and come back. But I don't hurry, <laughs> right? Uh, hopefully not. Hopefully not if you're, if you're a close friend for sure. Hopefully your, your relationship is more important. But um, it's not, it's not uh, necessarily uh, a joke. Uh, in Matthew 22, Jesus uh, uses the illustration of a wedding to describe the kingdom of heaven. And, uh, and the servants go out and they invite people to come to the wedding. Um, and uh, the people are not interested in the invitation and, in fact, abuse the servants to the point that the king actually sends his armies to destroy those peoples. But then they go into the highways and byways and they bring anyone they can find into the wedding hall. Uh, but uh, in Matthew 22, it says, but when the king came to, in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. Somebody uh, didn't read the card or the website and wasn't aware of what the uh, dress code needed to be. Or maybe the person knew what the dress code was but didn't care and just went, went into the wedding uh, not wearing the appropriate clothing and it says, so, the, so he, the king, said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? 
And that perhaps was an opportunity for that person to explain, uh, I didn't have a wedding garment, I searched, I looked, I couldn't find anything. Uh, but he didn't, it says, and he was speechless. He gave no answer. He didn't have a good answer as to why he wasn't wearing uh, the proper uh, dress code. Uh, then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What is the dress code of heaven? What is the dress code of heaven? How do you need to be dressed when you get to heaven? And um, a word that describes what we need to have on, uh, used in the Bible, is righteousness. We need to be covered with righteousness. Um, the Oxford Dictionary defines righteousness as the quality of being morally right or justifiable. So as a person, I need to be a good person, right? Um, how good of a person do I need to be to get into heaven? And that's what this passage is about. Uh, go ahead and count, if you would, as we read the passage, the number of times <coughs> that the word righteousness happens in this passage. And when we use the word righteousness, think of it as, as the dress code of heaven. What is it that we need to have on when we go to heaven? So we are in Romans uh, chapter 9, verse 30, and we're going to go ahead and read all the way till verse 13 of chapter 10. So 9, 30 till 10, 13. What shall we say then that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith? But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone. As it is written, behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down from above, or 
who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Okay, did anybody keep count? Uh, all right, I see a couple of hands. Another hand, all right. What's the vote? You got counted 12? Anybody got a different number? All right, good. I got 12 also. So <laughs> The 12s have it. If you count a different uh, number, let me know later. I, I might have been wrong. Uh, sometime in the uh, multitude of counsel, you could still be wrong. But, uh, but yes, uh, righteousness is appearing here a lot of times. Uh, so that's clearly uh, a key word for our passage and why we want to uh, think about it. Okay, uh, so the passage begins with a question. What shall we say then that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith? But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? So the first question is, why is it that the Gentiles have achieved righteousness and the Jews did not? So maybe to help us with that a little bit, um, we could just go a few verses back. Uh, in verse 22 of chapter 9, Paul says, What if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had prepared beforehand for glory? Even us whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. And then he uh, quotes from the Old Testament, and he applies Hosea uh, to the Gentiles. I will call them my people who were not my people, and her beloved who was not beloved. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there shall they be called sons of the living God. So all of a sudden we're finding Gentiles as God's people and God's beloved, right? And on the other hand, when he looks at, the, at Israel in verses 27 and on, Isaiah also cries concerning Israel, though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, the remnant shall be saved. So only a remnant of the nation of Israel is saved at this time. So it's not that only Gentiles are saved. Jews are saved also at this time. But relatively speaking, there's a lot more Gentiles than Jews that are being saved these days, right? Uh, 
And so the question is asked, how is it that Gentiles are attaining to righteousness, meaning a righteous standing with God, while most of the Jews are not? And by illustration to this surprise is, uh, uh, imagine uh, the Oscars are coming. As I understand it, now I don't tend to watch much TV, but I understand that every year uh, the Oscars are being handed out. And all the uh, actresses and actors and the who's who of Hollywood is going to be there and are going to wear their most fancy clothes. And these are people who probably wear fancy clothes on a regular basis. And they spend a significant amount of their time and money in trying to look their best, right? It's basically their job to look good uh, for movies. And let's imagine that there are some homeless people uh, on the side of, 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 the, of the street, uh, of, of people walking into, uh, into the Oscars, into this party. And uh, somehow these homeless people show up at at, this, uh, at the Oscars, and they are so well-dressed and look so good that hands down, they're the best-dressed people. They win the best-dressed award. You'd be shocked what happened, right? And that's kind of how people in Paul's day, the Jews perhaps especially, felt that all of a sudden the Gentiles are righteous with God, and it's the Jews that are not. Because the Gentiles, according to this passage, did not pursue righteousness, these, these are people who didn't spend their lives, generations, thinking about how am I going to be right with God. Whereas the Jews who were pursuing the law of righteousness, and not all Jews are as religious, but there was you know, a fair number of Jews who were trying very hard to keep the law. right? And these people who tried so hard to keep the law are now put outside of the kingdom. They are not righteous with God. right? It's a shock right, to, uh, to the religious world. Uh, and so Paul is asking the question, why? Why did this happen? And the answer he gives is they did not seek it by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone. As it is written, behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense. And whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Who is this stumbling stone that Israel stumbled over? The Lord Jesus, right? So God came and he offered salvation through the Lord Jesus. He offered to make the Jewish nation righteous and right with God, but they stumbled, they rejected him, and the Gentiles received him, right? So everything hanged on how you responded to Jesus. Because Israel, the Jews, rejected Jesus. They failed to attain the righteousness of faith, but the Gentiles who believed on Jesus, received Jesus, received this righteousness of faith. So I thought maybe we could just stop and ask the question, why did Israel stumble at that Stumbling stone. What is it that caused them to, to stumble? Again, a stumble stone would be something on the way. You're walking in the road, and then you hit something, and you fall flat on your face. What was it uh, that caused them to, to fail in such a, in such a critical, um, 
uh, issue. So the first thing, so there's, there's two main things in the scripture that you could find cause the Jews, perhaps particularly the religious Jews, to stumble when it came to Jesus. And um, I will put this in order. First, it was his ministry. Jesus' ministry offended them. Jesus says this in John 7, 7. And he's speaking to his brothers who wanted him to go to the feast in Jerusalem. And he said, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. Uh, Jesus exposed the sin of people, including the sins of the religious people. And uh, they didn't like it. They didn't like being exposed as sinners. People don't want you to tell them that they're bad, that they fall short of God's standards of righteousness. Uh, perhaps not that peculiar to Jews, but that was one of the reasons the religious leaders did not like Jesus. He exposed their sin. Number two, Jesus received sinners. Uh, in Luke 15, it says, Then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to him to hear him, and the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. They didn't like the fact that Jesus didn't want to associate with them, the religious leaders, but he was willing I mean, not that Jesus rejected them, but he was willing to associate with people that they would not associate with. They would not receive known sinners into their house. They wanted to make it clear that they were different, that they were better than sinners, whereas Jesus welcomed sinners, right? And that was another stumbling block uh, for them. And uh, finally, and all of this is connected, uh, they... They stumbled at the fact that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says, But we, we, the apostles, preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. The Jews were expecting a Messiah that was going to ride in on a white horse, uh, push over Caesar, uh, particularly get rid of the Romans in Jerusalem, and then they'll sit on the throne as the king of Israel and the king of the world. They didn't expect or want a Messiah that was going to be crucified for sinners. Now, now all of these things are connected. Uh, Jesus' ministry as the Messiah was to save us from our sins. And the Jews, the religious leaders, were not expecting and were not interested in that kind of a Messiah. They were interested in a political messiah, one that was going to fix their problems, but uh, not suggest that there was anything wrong between them and God. That caused them to stumble. The second thing that caused the Jews to stumble was Jesus' claim to be God. It says in John 5, <clears throat> Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. So the Jews had a problem with Jesus claiming to be God. 
Um, Jesus uh, perhaps explains it in a parable later on where he describes the Jews as the ones who are sending out to Caesar and saying, we will not have this man to rule over us. We, uh, a lot of time, uh, speak more comfortably about God than we are with God intervening with our lives. Uh, my parents might say, oh yeah, we believe uh, that there is a God, but somehow he's a faraway God who doesn't concern himself with me and what I'm doing on, my daily, on a daily basis. For Jesus, as God, to come into the world shows that God was very concerned with what I was doing. And if I'm to have a right relationship uh, with Jesus, my life has to conform to that. And, uh, and that was a stumbling, a stumbling block uh, to the Jews. Uh, but what's the benefit? Uh, it says, if we go back to that uh, verse that we just read, uh, it says, they stumbled at that stumbling stone, as it is written, behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Why did God send Jesus into this world if the Jews were going to stumble over him? Because there was opportunity for them to believe on him. And it says that whoever, whoever believes on him, whoever believes on the Lord Jesus will not be put to shame. What does it mean to be ashamed? Uh, the first place we would find the word uh, shame or ashamed is actually all the way back at the beginning of the Bible. Uh, Genesis 2.25 says, And they, Adam and Eve, uh, were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. I uh, was talking to my uh, family at breakfast, and I mentioned how often we have these embarrassing, embarrassing dreams where we're in a room maybe full of people or, or maybe not, and we discover we don't have any clothes on, right? And all of a sudden, we feel uh, quite embarrassed about that, even though it's just a dream, <laughs> Uh, until we realize it's a, just a dream, uh, it's quite a problem for us. Uh, why did that change? Why did Adam and Eve uh, were fine being uh, undressed, but today we're not? Well, it happened when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, right? And all of a sudden, the Bible says they, were, they realized that they were naked, and it bothered them. Uh, now, Adam and Eve knew they were naked before they ate of that fruit. Uh, the, the feeling of shame was associated with the sin, the fact that they really felt exposed to God. There was something wrong about them, which we see from the fact that they hid themselves. Actually, first, they tried to cover themselves with fig leaves, and then they went and hid in a bush when God was coming. And interestingly, when God finds them, he gives them uh, skins of animals to wear. So it's like God recognized that the feeling of inadequacy, the feeling of needing to be covered, was justifiable, and he gave them something better than fig leaves. Now, uh, we understand that animal skin didn't really fix the problem. Uh, they were still uh, separated from God because of their sin. They, they were missing that righteousness 
right? That dress code we need in order to enter heaven was gone. And that's why Adam and Eve really felt exposed. Uh, the animal skins were a picture of how God would provide the righteousness that we need. And that is not through the death of those animals. It was through the death of Christ. We're told in 2 Corinthians 5 that God uh, made him who knew no sin, that's the Lord Jesus, the only perfect man, the only man without sin, he made him to be sin for us. On the cross, God put our sins on the Lord Jesus, and Jesus died for our sins because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. That we might become the righteousness of God in, in him, just the way God took my sins and placed them on the Lord Jesus for him to die on the cross, God took the righteousness of Christ and put it on me. And guess what? Now I'm dressed for heaven. I have the correct dress code because I have a perfect righteousness. In fact, the righteousness of God upon me. Why? Because I believed on him, like the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. You will not be ashamed in heaven if you have the righteousness of God on. If you have anything less than the righteousness of God, you're going to be ashamed in heaven. In fact, you will not be able to enter heaven. That's the dress code for heaven. Okay, uh, just, just to... Think that in one more time. Philippians chapter 3, Paul says, Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. So very clearly there, uh, we need to receive the righteousness of God. We cannot go to heaven based on our own righteousness, which is through law-keeping. Okay, um, Paul continues, uh, if you would, answering that question, or the second question, why would Israel reject God's offer of righteousness through Christ? In chapter 10, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal from God, for God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. And so the reason Israel did not receive the righteousness of Christ is they didn't know that dress code. <clears throat> they felt that they could achieve the righteousness God expected by keeping the law. They felt, you know, I'm, I'm good enough, right? Or I could make myself good enough if I just tried harder, right? So I don't really need what it is that Jesus is offering, right? As long as, 
if, if, if your idea of God's dress code is low enough and your idea of your own righteousness is high enough, you might think, I'm, I'm just going to make it, right? And that was Israel's problem, is they felt God's righteousness requirement is not that high, and I'm pretty good, so I think I can make it. And as a result, they, it says they did not submit to the righteousness of God. God offered them his righteousness through the Lord Jesus, and they said, no, thank you, we're good. Um, okay. Okay, so now Paul describes for us what I would call our options, right? And, and it's, it's more or less what we've been saying, but uh, Paul uh, describes... Um, describes two types of righteousness, right? It says, for Moses writes about the righteousness, righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. And he goes on to describe these two ways. You have the righteousness of the law, the righteousness of faith. The righteousness of the law, Moses says, is the man who does those things shall live by them. So I would say it in this way. Uh, the righteousness of the law is based on how good you are and what you have done, right? So that's option A. You could try to get into heaven based on the righteousness of the law. It's about how good you are and how good you're, you're doing, or how good are the things that you're doing. The man who does them shall live by them. Right? If, you, if you can make yourself good enough, if you can do enough good works, theoretically, right, you can go to heaven. Right? The only problem is, we're told in Isaiah 64, but we are all like an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. So I might think that I'm good enough, but the Bible says I'm an unclean thing, right? Something God is not going to want in the holiness of heaven. Remember, if I'm going to a, to a wedding or a special event and I'm not following the dress code, uh, it's a measure of, of disrespect on, on the person who's organizing the event. And they may have a certain standard, and you just do not fit that standard. You're going to ruin my wedding if you come here like that. So I'm sorry, you don't have a place here. Right? We cannot enter heaven as an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. Option B, so that's one way to try to get into heaven. It doesn't work. Put a big red X on it. Uh, is through faith, the righteousness of faith. And Paul describes that in a little bit more detail, and I will try to simplify it after I read it. Uh, but the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart, that is the word of faith which we preach. Let me pause there. Uh, the righteousness of faith is based on 
not how good you are, but how good Jesus is and what Jesus has done. The righteousness which is of the law is based on how good you are and what you have done. The righteousness which is of faith is based on how good Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Now, it might be a little bit difficult <coughs> to follow here as, as Paul is um, describing it in this way. Um, Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down from above. He's, he's emphasizing uh, one of the main reasons Israel uh, rejected Jesus, right? The fact that he claimed to be God. And it's also one of the main reasons we can trust in the salvation Jesus is offering because he is God. If Jesus was less than God, he couldn't save me, right? No one less than God could save me. So it's critical that Jesus is God. Now, I'm not going to make Jesus God, right? Jesus is God, right? God sent his son into the world. Jesus is God made flesh. I don't have to do anything. He did it, right? <laughs> I shouldn't say he became God because he always was God, right? But he did enter the world as God. God sent his son into the world. So it's a critical base truth that Jesus is God. Um, the second thing he emphasizes here is do not say in your heart who will descend into the abyss that is to bring Christ up from the dead. Uh, again, the second uh, perhaps major uh, doctrine regarding the Lord Jesus is the fact that he rose from the dead. It's not about what I did, the righteousness which is of faith, it's about what Jesus did. And we understand that before Jesus rose from the dead, he died from our sins. But it was through the resurrection that God demonstrated that. Um, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we would not know that Jesus died for our sins. Right? We wouldn't know that he was the Messiah. It was God's great seal of approval on the Lord Jesus. Right? And again, I don't have to do it. Right? I don't have to somehow raise Jesus from the dead in order for, the, for, for him to save me. He did it, right? So uh, salvation by faith or the righteousness of faith is based on who Jesus is, the fact that Jesus is God, and what Jesus did. He died for my sins, and he rose from, from the dead. Right? That's, that's, the, uh, that's what the righteousness of faith is based on. Right? I couldn't, I couldn't receive the righteousness of God unless Jesus was God and unless Jesus rose from the dead. Those are necessary things. Okay, how do we accept the righteousness of God? So clearly, um, you know, Israel rejecting the Lord Jesus, right, wasn't the way to do it. How do we do it? How do we receive the righteousness of God? So he, Paul continues here uh, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus 
and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. So, simple, right? How do you receive God's righteousness? It says it right here. First, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, right? Acknowledge Jesus is who he said he is. He is God, right? Come into the world to save you, right? You have to recognize uh, who he is. A second, you must believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. It makes sense. You have to believe what Jesus did to save you. If you don't believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, you don't believe that God raised him from the dead, you don't, you don't believe in that seal of approval that God put upon his son, you're not going to be saved, right? Those are, those are the two things. That's all you need to do. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. Hallelujah. <laughs> I don't have to keep the law. Ten commandments or the 613 commandments, right? All I have to do is recognize Jesus is who he says he is and believe he did what he said he did, what the Bible said he did. That's all. All I have to do. Uh, just a couple of notes here. So first of all, um, confession is a measure of a reality of our faith. Notice that it says it's with the mouth. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. It doesn't say, believe in your heart that Jesus is God. It actually says, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Um, when I was uh, in the process of becoming a Christian, I came to this church. Um, seeking a wife or a girlfriend. Uh, and, uh, and yet God arrested me, and I came to recognize, you know, God is no joke, right? And I need to be right with God, right? I came to believe that. And um, Rick met with me. He showed me prophecies in the Old Testament that were evidence of who Jesus was. And uh, he pointed out, you know, Bible says you're a sinner. You better ask God to save you from your sins or you're in big trouble. And I believed that. And I actually prayed a prayer and I asked, you know, God save me from my sins. I forget. I don't remember exactly what I prayed. And, uh, and then a week or two later, I, I seem to remember telling Rick or maybe Rick asked me, you know, did you do anything about it? Uh, yeah, I did. Uh, so you're, you believe? Uh, yeah. And uh, so Rick was, you're ready to be baptized? And I was like, no. <laughs> and Rick said, uh, we have a problem. And, uh, and, and this passage would agree with that, right? And, and Rick was actually correct. I wasn't yet saved at that time. I, I, I didn't really understand what it was Jesus did for me. You know, I understood some truth, right? Maybe you could say I had a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. I didn't really appreciate what it was, my, my true condition, the fact that I was going to hell. You know, I, I, didn't, I wasn't really convicted of that fact. And as a result, I didn't really understand what it was Jesus did for me. And that changed a couple of months later. And... Um, 
And I was willing to be baptized after that. Uh, but yeah, if, if, if you're not willing to confess to be publicly recognized as a Christian, there's something defective in that faith, right? And I think that's why it says that in this passage, whoever confesses, right? There has to be a reality of that faith uh, in the Lord Jesus. The second thing to note is, uh, is it says here, whosoever, uh, I'm sorry, I said it, uh, but it says it a couple of times here. <clears throat> uh, the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord uh, will be saved. So they, it's open to everybody, right? And um, we've, we've talked about election in the previous chapter. Luke found a nice verse that shows in one verse you could show both election and yet man's opportunity to be saved, right? We have both. Side by side. Here we have one chapter next to the other, one of the strongest chapters on election in the Bible, chapter 9. And then in the next chapter, it's all about Israel rejecting the gospel and emphasis. Whoever will, whoever will, <laughs> anybody who wants it uh, can have it. And, uh, and in this passage, it, it specifically you know, calls on the Jews and the Gentiles. Uh, and it makes sense. It says, um, for it, there's no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord over all. God is Lord of all. He made all of us. Therefore, he is interested in all of us. Right? We're all his creatures, all made in his image. Right? He loves all of us. Uh, and it says he is rich to all who call upon him. Um, we all love the story of Cinderella. Maybe we don't all love the story of Cinderella, but, you know, this, uh, I guess, a servant that uh, had to sleep next to the fireplace, so her clothes were always covered with soot, and she wanted to go to the ball and dance with the prince. And, uh, and the, you know, the fairy godmother shows up. And, uh, and somehow turns her rags into riches, right? And, and she gets to go to the ball and wins the best dress award, right? Um, and yet it was just one person. And you wonder why. You know, why did Cinderella get to, to, to go to the ball as the world's best-dressed person? And maybe you say, well, she was the nicest person. So only, only the best people, the nicest people deserve uh, to, be, to win the best dressed award. Um, or maybe you'd say, well, the fairy godmother only had enough magic for one person, right? And so she had to pick somebody. Uh, well, praise God, um, we're not limited in the same way. Uh, God is not looking for the nicest person, right? Or, or, or I won't be in heaven. And probably neither will you, right? Uh, he's looking for all. He's reaching out to all. And God is not limited by being able to make one person covered with his righteousness, right? He is, he is rich to all who call upon him. God has sufficient resources to clothe everybody with his righteousness. It says in... Uh, John, 1 John 2, 1, and he himself is the propitiation, 
for our sins. You can think of it as the payment. Jesus paid for our sins, and not only for ours, not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Jesus paid for the sins of the whole world. There is no limit to how many people he can clothe with his righteousness. Uh, in clothing, closing, um, we, we started this section with the question of what happened to Israel? What happened to Israel? Why is Israel uh, not enjoying the righteousness of God? Why, why are they uh, not enjoying the blessings and the glory of God? And, um, and we've answered it yet again in this passage. You know, we keep finding, you know, answers. Uh, but... Uh, we need to be careful we don't just point the pictures at Israel and say, this is what happened to you, right? My kids say, when, when you point someone, you're pointing back at yourself with four fingers. What about me? What about me? Am I going to heaven? Am I going to enjoy being in the glory of God and enjoy his blessings? And, uh, and so we need to understand the key. What is it that caused, caused Israel to miss out on God's blessing? And, uh, and the key thought in this passage is they missed the dress code of heaven. The dress code of heaven is perfect righteousness. You have to be perfect to be in heaven. And because of that, you're not going to make it by your own efforts. You're not going to make it by keeping the law. Uh, and at the same time, uh, we see very clearly in this passage that God has made his righteousness available to you. Whosoever will may come. Anybody who wants the righteousness of God uh, can come and have it. They just need to confess with the mouth the Lord Jesus. Jesus is God in the flesh. Come to offer you his righteousness. And we need to believe what Jesus has done. He died for your sins, and he rose from the dead, receiving God's seal of approval. Will you accept what he has done for you? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the clarity of your word, of the perfection that you require to have in your presence. Lord, we confess there is no one in this room who is uh, perfect. You say in your word that we are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags, and yet you offer to us the perfect righteousness of God through your Son, the Lord Jesus, who he is and what he has done for us. So we pray, if there's anybody in this room who has not yet received your perfect righteousness as a free gift by faith, we pray that you help them do so, and even do so today. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.